Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. My name is Jason Pfeiffer, host of the podcasts Pessimists Archive and Problem Solvers, and this is OPP. Welcome to another episode of OPP, a podcast that highlights your favorite podcasters and the dope shows they created. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. This week's special guest is Jason Pfeiffer, host of two shows, Pessimist Archive and Problem Solvers. Pessimist Archive is a scripted narrative podcast that explores the fear of technology throughout human history. Jason is also editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine and hosts their podcast, Problem Solvers, which features business owners and CEOs who went through a crippling business problem and came out the other side happy, wealthy, and growing. I stopped through Entrepreneur Magazine's offices to chat about his love of all things podcasting, his creative process, and the dope shows he created, Pessimist Archive, and Problem Solvers. So let's get on with my conversation with Jason Pfeiffer. Oh, there we go. Ooh. Fife Dog. Hey. You may know him as Jason Pfeiffer. I know him as Fife Dog, the host of Pessimist Archive. What's up, Jason? What's up? I'm I'll, honored to kick this thing off with you. Yeah, you were the very first person that I reached out to uh, for the new for the new podcast. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm, I'm, and I'm glad. Oh, by the way, we should say to your listeners that maybe hearing sirens in the background, we are <laughs> at the corner conference room on the 11th floor of an office building where Entrepreneur is, yes. just north of Penn Station. And there are sirens just blaring all the time down Seventh Ave. Uh, so this is this is how we have our meetings. I like it. It's like a city hum. It feels like very New York. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's like different. podcasting meets Law and Order. Right. If, it, if you had found a <laughs> silent space, it would not be New York. How's everything been going, man? Good. Good. Should, yeah, we're talking podcasts. Should I introduce myself uh, as to what, uh, sure. what my shows are? Sure. There, there's no rules. Sure. Okay. So I have these two shows, in fact. Um, so there's Pessimist Archive, which you you called out. So that's a history of unfounded fears of innovation or technology. And that means that each episode, we look at the moment that a new piece of technology was introduced and we try to understand why it freaked everybody out. The Walkman, the car, the bicycle, chess, coffee. It's crazy. Literally everything that you use today scared the hell out of people when it was first introduced. And then the second show that I have is called Problem Solvers. That's for Entrepreneur because I'm the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. So we we make that right here. Uh, I was working on it, in fact, uh, just before you came over here, getting a new advertiser in there. And so that is a show about uh, problem solving, if you can believe it. Uh, entrepreneurs solving unexpected problems in their business. That's a weekly show. So every episode I, I talk to and then produce this show about how they overcame something that they didn't see coming. And those are, yeah, that's, uh, I've, 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 I gotta say, I, I am more excited about podcasting than any other medium right now. I work in, I work in a lot of mediums at the same time. And podcasting is the one that excites me the most. And people develop a relationship with you. I mean, I'm not saying anything that 
uh, is going to be brand new, but here, like, but, but people develop a relationship with you in a way that they really don't in any other medium. And I, when I think of like, who are my rock stars right now? They're the hosts of the podcasts I listen to. Like they're like PJ vote and Alex Goldman and, and, and like all the, all the, basically everybody who works at Gimlet, basically everybody who works at Gimlet <laughs> is, is a celebrity to me. I feel like it's the gold standard of podcast production. And what I really love about it is how smart they produce shows, but also how diverse their offerings are. They they do not do just one thing. Like they have a core idea of what makes a quality show, and then they can express that in so many different ways. Right? It's a, it's awesome that the same team that creates the Nod is also creating Reply All and Startup and, and, startup and the Pitch, and it's just it's they're, they're, the the shows feel different and they sound different. But at their core, there's a level of quality and thoughtfulness that I think is missing from, frankly, a lot of the industry. And the more that this industry evolves, I think the more that the winners are going to be either the gimlets of the world or people who can think, like independent producers who can think like the gimlets. Um, and uh, and and a lot of the and just a lot of the crap's going to just fall away. When did you get into podcasting? I can remember buying my 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 iPod Touch. Just oh, wow. not that's not a technology that exists anymore. And downloading podcasts. So that was probably when I moved to New York. So maybe like 2008, maybe even earlier. Dude, you were on the game very early. Yeah, early, early. Like the first shows I listened to were the Slate Political Gabfest, which I still do. Uh, Savage Love, which I I don't anymore. I mean, it, it was like it, Dan Savage is amazing, but it's like there's only so much of that you can listen to. Yeah, and um, and Radio Lab. Which I which I I still do listen to though honestly not every episode anymore because there's just too much like there's wow. too much my my podcast feed is like insane now but yeah no I've been listening forever but it didn't occur to me to get into it until far later I I think that I started thinking about it maybe seriously 2015 okay okay it was pessimist your your first pessimist archive was my first one yeah so so how, how did that opportunity come about where you were like you know what I'm gonna start pessimist archive which I'm a humongous fan of thank you i appreciate it it's been it's been a great experience like a great learning experience so it it's funny it came about in a really roundabout way i had been thinking for a while that i wanted to start a podcast but the technology intimidated me i did, just didn't know anything right and i i didn't know where to buy a microphone i didn't know what we needed i didn't know how to edit audio and i didn't know how complicated any of that would be and i emailed a couple friends in radio, because I, I have some friends, like I have a friend who's a producer of This American Life, and I, uh, and uh, just a number of other people, and uh, I emailed them asking for advice, and they all sent me back these super long technical things because you know these are these are professionals, like they do this for a living. They've spent their entire career. It would be like if somebody emailed me and was like, "How do you write a magazine story?" Like I would just get like into the weeds really fast. Yeah. And the thing that I eventually learned is that you don't need you don't need to produce at that level. Like the the barrier to entry is actually kind of low which of course means that the like the barrier to survival is high because like so many people are able to come into it once they learn that really all you need is like any kind of microphone and basic editing skills on GarageBand or something and you can produce a podcast doesn't mean you can produce a good podcast but right. it means you can produce a podcast so uh anyway i i just i felt kind of stymied by that because it seemed too technical and Yet, I, I was thinking, you know, what I would really love to do is a podcast about 
fears of technology from the past. Like I just I love that subject. We can get rolling on it. Like I I, I it just it, I'm a it's pa- I, I have a passion for looking into the past and seeing fears that we feel today. It's a really random passion, but the but the reason is because I feel like when you wrap your head around what's going on, it explains the entire world. Like what you see is that the world is a cycle. Like we just we're we're always just part of a cycle. We're not our moment in time right now is not a special moment. It's just a moment that looks and feels, um, roughly speaking, like something that we as people have gone through a million times before, right? And, it's, and now, like, here's somebody who's going to raise their hand and be like, but the internet is new and it's doing <laughs> totally different. And like, yes, totally true. But what I'm saying is that we have lived through time after time after time after time in which the mode of communication changed and that altered how societies uh, communicated with each other and also organized themselves. Like that as a recurring theme happens over and over again. So if you lived through when the radio dawned, it I honestly don't think it would have felt much different from the, the internet, the changes that we feel with the internet, right? They're totally. different. They're obviously different. But I'm just talking, relatively speaking, to the people who live in those moments and experience only what they are living through. The change in radio and the change in the internet is the same, and and we will have another change. Like there will be there will be some time where two people like us are talking right now, like uh, 200 years from now, where they'll be like. Where the way that we're talking about the radio now is this like distant thing. They'll be talking about the internet, right? And then they'll have some other thing, and they'll be like, "Well, that's new and different." But the top, right? It's like it's just a cycle. It's just a cycle. And I think I think if you embrace that, you free yourself up because you realize that uh, short term fears are ridiculous. That change is constant, and the only decision is whether or not you embrace it. But the change is going to happen anyway. It, it it just it explains the entire world to me. So. This is a show that I wanted to do, and I didn't know how to do it, and I didn't know when I would have the time to do it, and I was also intimidated by by starting a brand from scratch or a show from scratch, and then the craziest thing happened. One day I was on Twitter, and somebody had retweeted Pessimists Archive, like a Twitter handle, at Pessimists Arc, A-R-C, and it was like, I don't remember what it was. It was a screen cap of some nonsense that somebody wrote 100 years ago in a newspaper, and I was making fun of it. And I was like, what is this? This is like, it's like, it's like if there was a parallel universe and there was another me, I would have created this. Like who created this? And so I, I, you know, I look and I, and I just like the, the, the feed is just that it's like somebody out there is just sitting and like creating these little clippings and, uh, they're just going through newspapers and finding old fears. And I was like, oh my God, this is like, this is a, this is just a like-minded soul. So I sent a DM to Pessimist. They didn't even identify who they were. And I was like, Hey, I love what you're doing. It, it aligns with stuff I think about all the time. In fact, I've written about it because I had, I'd written a number of pieces about like past fears. And so I sent them some links and I was like, if there's any interest uh, in working with me, I would love to help you. And this guy named Louie gets back to me. This, it was his creation. This is like British guy named Louie. And he looked at my stuff and he was like, yeah, I'd love to work with you. Uh, in fact, I've been thinking about starting a podcast do you, you want to talk about it? And I was like, yes. Wow. It's exactly what I want to do. Like, this is crazy. So Louie and I got on the phone and we talked it through. And he's like, he's not a journalist. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't 
think about storytelling in the way that I do, like, because I've spent my entire career in it. And he wasn't really keen on being the host of the show. Like he, he had recorded this, this test episode, which was literally just, he had found like a funny article from a hundred years ago and he had somebody read it. Like that was the, that was the episode. And I was like, no, 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 no. We can do a lot better than that. (laughs) So we started developing it together. And that's when I really, that's when I was like, okay, I'm going to figure out the microphone thing. I'm going to figure out the editing thing. I'm going to do this. Like I'm, passionate about this. And now one of the hardest parts, which was starting from scratch and like building an audience like that's that is actually done for me. Like Louis has been, Louis created the podcast feed. There are 15,000 followers. Like that's our start. We have a start. Now we just need to build this so, into a great so show. He, he created the the kind of the platform. Yes. He created the brand. Online. Yeah. Just Got as it. a wow. Twitter feed. Just as a Twitter feed. So we decided to take a popular Twitter feed and make a podcast out of it. That's Pessimist Archive. So now you have the process of you're going to start this show. Yeah. What was the next step to like make it happen? So here's what I knew. I knew that we decided to do, we decided to start with an episode on the Walkman. And the reason we picked the Walkman was because the fears around the Walkman, the, the scary cultural convulsions that people don't even remember anymore was like 1982, which means that people are still around which means that I got people to interview because I knew that most of these episodes were going to be real history stuff, like Dawn of the Bicycle stuff, right? There's nobody around from that time. You can't interview anybody. And I wasn't entirely sure how I was going to do that yet. How am I going to make that compelling? Because I do not want to do a show that's just like straight up me talking for 30 minutes. Like nobody wants to hear that. That's boring. I wanted to make a recorded, reported well-conceived, produced show, like a Gimlet-style show. I wanted to do yeah, that. because I'm sorry to interrupt you. Was there, yeah. a, was there a show that you were kind of inspired by? For me, it was How I Built This with Guy Raz. Yeah. Uh, I kind of like, I, I entered into the podcasting space not knowing anything. Right. So, oh, well, maybe I'll just model my show kind of around this, form, this format. Right, right. Yeah, so um, there wasn't one show, but I... So as a guy who spent, I've spent my entire career in in journalism. I was a newspaper reporter and then a magazine editor. So I think a lot about storytelling. And because of that, I challenge myself to do complex storytelling. So it, the idea, I, it, it, Q&A shows never appealed to me because it's too straightforward. Like I wanted to do something that's complex, that like really challenges my storytelling abilities. And so I knew that I wanted to do something that's more along the lines of Radiolab and This American Life, which are like really, really high bars. But what I mean by that is just produce. Like like somebody went out, they talked to a lot of people, they sat down with a lot of material, and then they crafted something. It was sort of like the way that I would go through writing a magazine feature is is what is what a radio lab story is, right? So I knew I wanted to do it like that. I wanted to talk to a lot of people. I wanted to weave it together in some way. I didn't know exactly how that would be. I didn't know the format. I didn't know what materials I would have. I didn't know how I would communicate those materials. Some of them are written. Some of them are, like, I just didn't know. But I knew that step one was going to be just report it. Just report the hell out of it. So I spent months reporting this thing, like months, tracking down the 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 core, what I eventually realized is that the core of this show has to, there has to be sort of one central fight or moment or something, and then everything else can kind of spin off of that. And in the Walkman episode, the central fight is in Woodbridge, New Jersey, which banned people wearing the Walkman 
when they're walking on the when they're crossing the street. And I think and I think in some other cases as well. They like banned the Walkman in some places. And there was this local guy who was so offended by that. He was like a retiree. He was so offended by that that he the day that the ban went into effect, he walked up to a cop, he put his headphones on and he walked across the street. Mm. And they ticketed him. And then he fought it. And then he was like in front of a judge. It was like a whole thing. This was it became national news. And I was like, that's I want to find that guy. And I want to find the city councilors that passed the ban. And I want to find people who lived in the town. And I want to ask them all what they remember of that moment. And then what it's like, what do they think now? What do they think about the evolution of this whole thing? So the guy, the guy turned out to he, he died. Um, but I tracked down his son. And I tracked, I did track down a city councilor and I, and I just started reporting it, you know, and then, and then I started asking myself bigger questions because ultimately I think that this is, this is about, this is about bigger questions. So the Walkman isn't just about the Walkman. The Walkman is about, uh, it's like self-entertainment. It's about, because before the Walkman, you were, you were at the mercy of whatever was around you. Like you couldn't close yourself off audibly to the mm. world. Wow, that's a good point. You couldn't, right? That was the first time. And that's why people were so afraid of it because people were able to contain, they were like able to create their own environments that they could travel with. Yeah. And they, you couldn't do that before. And that was scary to people. And so so I wanted to then engage like, okay, well, what the great, the journalism to me is about coming up. Uh, it's, it's about, it's about being curious and it's about always being alert to what interesting questions need to be answered. So you start with what happened in Woodbridge, New Jersey, and then you expand from that. And I just started reporting it. And I did, I honestly, I did not know what this episode was going to be like, but until I felt like I just talked to enough people, historians and Woodbridge people and whatever. And then I sat down with it. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. And I, I, spent, a, I spent a while just working on it at the time i didn't have there's there is ai transcription software out there i didn't have that at the time so i was like transcribing all this stuff myself too it, was, it took forever it took for it took months to put that episode. i was about to ask you how much time did it take for this, this yeah one episode? literal months literal months i probably worked on it for like three or four months like literal months and wow. and i figured out i figured out uh, a format like a way to tell the story which is not all that different from telling a magazine story you like you open with an interesting anecdote which leads to a big question which in the case of the walkman is like why the hell did people fear the walkman and what can we learn by understanding that and then you step back because this is this is fundamental storytelling you like open with an anecdote that pulls people in you ask a big question it's kind of like you're not graph like you're you're asking a question that people uh, want to be paid off like you're 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 signposting you're promising what's going to come next and then you step back and you explain the history you like sort of lead up to the problem or the question so in this case it was all right where did the walkman come from and like 
before the Walkman, did what did is it true that we literally had no like there was nothing? What was there any form of self-contained entertainment? Do we have that? And so you get to know the technology and you get to know where the Walkman came from. Okay, it came from Japan and it was it was like originally nobody took it seriously and then it became kind of popular in Japan and then it moved to New America and it, it was treated as kind of amusing curiosity and and then and then where did the where did the freakouts come from? And then I and then I had all these great uh quotes from newspapers, from people talking about how terrible and dangerous the Walkman was. And I was like, okay, I don't want to read these myself because that's boring. So I need I need a reader. I need like an archival reader. I need someone to read this. I need someone who's good at it. And so I, I, I think that was that first episode. I asked my friend Isaac, who is an actor and a director. And so he read it and they were really, it was really funny. Like he just did a great dramatic reading of these. So I put that in there and I was like, okay, that's a recurring thing. Like that, I'm going to do that every episode. It's going to be like a different person reading. And, um, and I just wove the story together. And then we, me and Louie kicked it around and I, I changed the intro because it went on too long. And, just sort of settled on something that we we were happy with. And then we tried to figure out the sound. Like, what music do we put behind it? What, what, what's our presentation? And then we just put it out into the world. And uh, and, and from beginning of the, the origin of the idea yeah. to the first episode was how long? To Oh. I mean, it could have been six months. From wow. the time that I, like, reached out to him and we had a first conversation. Yeah, it could have been six months. Yeah. Yeah, like, we... We, I, I, I treated it like an experiment. I was like, let's see. There's like a lot of things to learn here all at once. Louis and I, do we work well together? Is this a concept that holds? Do I know how to do a podcast? Like, it's a completely different kind of writing. Like, I'm, you know, totally. I'm writing a script. A script. Yeah. And then I'm, and then I'm performing it. Can I do that? Because writing a script and writing a magazine story, totally different. Just. Totally different, hundred percent different. So also, how do you know what gear to settle on as far as like recording gear? Oh, uh, I asked my friend Seth Porges, who's a journalist and who who has written about technology forever, if he had any spare microphones because when you write about technology, companies just like send you stuff. And he said, "Yeah, I'll, let's meet for coffee and I'll bring you one." And so he brought, he brought me a blue Nessie. Okay, and. Uh, that's what I just, that's what I used. I just plugged it into the computer and I used GarageBand. I wasn't even aware that you needed like a pop filter. So the, after the first episode came out, my, my friend, my friend Diana, uh, who, who's a photographer, but her husband's a videographer. Um, they like listened to the first episode and they were like, he needs a pop filter. Like his keys are just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. His yeah. keys are just like in our faces. So, uh, she's like, can I send you a pop filter? I said, sure. So she ordered me one on Amazon. She like mailed it, had it mailed to me, which is very nice. And, uh, and then I had a pop filter and that honestly, the technology hasn't changed since then. Like, Wait, so, I, so your mic and garage band. Yeah. It's my mic and it's garage band. It's garage band. Like, too. This is this stuff that you've got here in front of me right now. Way fancier. than What? Way <laughs> fancier. I do not have an ability. I need it, but I haven't had the time to figure it out. I do not have an ability to plug two microphones into something at the same time and record. I don't. Oh, wow. Look, I recommend get, getting the, the Zoom 4HN Pro. Okay. I'm going to write that down. It's clutch. Yeah? Yeah. It's, and it's, it's simple? It's super easy. Two mics. And of course, I have like my table mic stands. And that's it, man. You buy mic cables and you're you're on. Yeah. And that's it. So what do you do? You just like go back and plug this thing to your computer and it downloads a yep, MP3? I have an SD card. Oh, okay. Then pop it in my computer and 
it's on. Okay. And I'm editing. And then I send it off to an engineer. Yeah. Uh, my friend Mark. Mark Bird. What's up, man? What's <laughs> going on, dude? I send it off to Mark and that's it. That's funny. I mean, it's great. I love it. I, I should I should get it. Uh, I should get something better. than. I mean, I, the Blue Nessie has been great for me. I mean, if, if somebody... It's just it sounds for fantastic. Like, if, yeah, thank you. Good. I'm glad. I, it's it's. I mean, it cost me zero dollars, but it like you go on Amazon and get it for like a hundred bucks. Like, it's not much, right? And um, it's just it, it's sitting right on my desk at work now. I use it. I use it almost daily. I love that mic. I think it's important for people to understand, you know, the process that goes into not just like my show is an interview based show. So, like, what goes into getting guests? Right. Like, how do you get guests to come onto your show? You know, you have to have a nice presentation or email uh-huh. different for you and i because you know we're, we're homies they show up on facebook yeah, yeah. Like, yeah right. no, that's simple, simple, <laughs> simple but if you were reaching out cold yeah you would have you would have had to i mean people reach out cold to me all the time to have me on their podcast and you know what i do can i tell you, tell you totally hopefully hopefully um they don't hear this and then realize what i've what i've psycho- <laughs> you ghosted them the psychological <laughs> trick that i play on them so a lot of people reach out to me to be on their podcast yeah and the first thing i do is i go to itunes and I see how many reviews they have because I want to, you know, I, I, I like I only got so much time in the day and every day feels like a crazy mess because I got I just got like 10 different projects at the same time. So I want to make sure that my time is going to be valuable and that I'm going to be reaching people because a lot of podcasts reach like nobody. And so if the show doesn't like doesn't have any reviews or has like two reviews, if it's clear that basically no, it's like a new show, nobody's listening to it and they're reaching out to me. Here's what I tell them. I say, I'm really busy. Sounds like a great show. Can you get back to me in like a month or two when my calendar will be clearer? Which is in, in part true. Like my calendar is a disaster zone. Like yeah. it's a it's awful, my calendar. But I'm also making sure that they're committed enough to their podcast that it exists in a month or two. Because a lot of people start out a show and then they just quit. Like most, I would guess that, I just guess if you just sort of started searching through iTunes, like 90% of the shows that you'd find have five episodes or less. Like people start it, they realize that building an audience is really hard. They ditch it, that's it. And I don't want to be, I don't want to be the guy that you're like, well, I'll start a podcast and then I'll just like swing for the fences and get, you know, and like you go out there and you build a good show and then I'm psyched to be on it. Right. Like, you know, um, which of course, like different when you know somebody, right? Like, you know, you you could, every podcast you start, I'm happy to kick off with you. Thanks brother. You bet. (laughs) bet. But like, you know, out of the blue, like you need to show, you need to show that you're for real and that you're making a show that, that like you're committed to and that you're, because you're committed to listeners are going to be committed to. So I want to see that. I want to see that. And that's why I, that's why I tell them, get back to me in a month or two. And you know what? Most of them don't. And mm. I bet most of them quit. I bet most of them quit within a month. Of course. Look, I have this analogy that I used where we talk about the rocket ship. Yeah. And people's dreams and aspirations are very similar to a rocket ship where everyone has dreams and everyone can wrap their mind around the idea of a rocket ship, right? Like I know what a rocket ship looks like and kind of what it does and, mm-hmm. and you do the same. Then you, you tell someone, okay, go go build it. Yeah. hundred people get excited you have 100 people. 75 of the people actually get up off their couch to build it, yeah. right? They build it, it explodes. Right. Half those people go back to redo it. That's right. Then half those people go back. Every time it explodes, it goes half and half yeah, that's and half right. and half that's and half. Right. That's kind of what your dreams are like. That's right. No, that's absolutely right. Until you hit right. the atmosphere. And then that's like two people out yeah. of the 100. Yeah, that's absolutely right. That's totally right. 
And uh, I think it's I think this is an Ira Glass line. I think uh, there's a there's a giant gap between your tastes and your abilities, uh, which is to say, like, if you're starting out on something, you know what good looks like and you can't achieve it because you're not mm. you don't have the experience. Right. Um, you know, I mean, if somebody like if somebody said, Jason, make a TV show. I know what a good TV show looks like. I don't know how to make a TV show. So there's a big gap between my abilities and my taste. And that discourages most people. But you have to accept that that's normal. That's how everybody starts. And the only way out is through. Like if you if you want to really devote yourself, you can eventually, but not everybody, of course, because talent plays into this, but you can you can get your abilities to where your tastes are, right? Mm. You, you can get it there. and But it requires a lot of time. It requires a lot of failure, a lot of rockets blowing up. And I don't think everybody has that. And that's why people quit. But before I let you go, what three shows are, are you really into? <sighs> I mean, there are so many. I don't even know how to limit it to three. Um, and now I'm trying to think of like things that we haven't already talked about. Well, one, let me give a shout out to Planet Money because they're so smart. And I've learned so much from listening to Planet Money. So Planet Money, it's an NPR show. It's about economics and business, but it's done in this really conversational, fun way. And I have been a fan of it basically since the beginning and have, I like, I basically just, I, I, I do everything I can to try to um, like build relationships with Planet Money. So I, I, I was on Planet Money um, once, uh, like a year or so ago, and it was just, it was like such a cool experience. I felt like, I, like you say, like walking to your rock stars. Um, and uh, I'll tell you, let me just give you a, a little lesson I learned from them. So I went in, I went in to, to be interviewed for this thing they're doing. And, um, and afterwards, I was like, hey, can I ask you a question? How do you guys balance scripting with with what sounds like unscripted because when you hear them there the, the, there'll be two hosts and it's two hosts talking and then they intersperse like reporting and so it's it, they're not sitting down in a room and just like riffing the way that we are they are working off a script that's clear but it also sounds like sometimes they're just riffing and so how do you fuse the two and um it was really interesting basically they write a script but they also leave like little spaces where they're just supposed to improv mm. and then if they improv and they like it but it didn't come out perfect they'll like do it again okay <laughs> so now they're like there it's like you know now they're sort of re-performing something that they that that had come off the top of their head so i love planet money i let's see what else shout out to reply all i already did i guess but whoop, whoop. it's just so it's just such a it's really good. It's really good. It's just really, really good. <laughs> it's like kind of like LeBron James. Yeah. Where like you don't want to say who your favorite player is. Like yeah. LeBron James, because it sounds so basic after right. a while. Uh-huh. Or like Bob Marley and Reggae. Right. You're like, yeah, I love Bob Marley. Right. It just sounds so basic. I know. But then you're like, damn, they're just so good. They're just so good. It's just they're just so good. They're really <laughs> good. But uh anyway, they were talking about how so they're they have again a sort of format where it's it's this reported out thing, but one host is 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 often walking the other one through the story and the other one and so the one who's the the one who's being walked through is reacting you know in real time what oh no whatever it is and and then they, they'll riff and they're really they just have a really good chemistry and i always wondered what like are they scripting that 
in the way, like, you know, the same question I had for Planet Money. In this case, they actually do this crazy song and dance with each other where they independently produce and report episodes. And then the other host will be out of the room when they're talking about specific things for the episode so that the other host can hear it fresh when they're actually recording. Mm. Like that stuff is real. It's like live and real. It's it's so I cannot believe they do that. It's so complicated to do it like that. But it's it, it's also what like that's that's Gimlet, right? Like that's Gimlet. Like you go that extra mile to make something real and authentic and great. That's that's so I just I couldn't believe they actually do that. So so smart. <laughs> it's just so smart. I love hearing that stuff. Um, oh, okay, I'm going to say two. I'm going to say two. Um, I'm, I'm breaking your rules. Okay, so number one is that I just saw Ear Hustle. And if, if, you, if people haven't heard Ear Hustle, it's it's a show produced inside San Quentin Prison. So no. good. I thought it was going to be depressing, and it's not. It's actually fascinating. It's like about prison culture. Like, what's it like to have a roommate? And like, what's the food like? And But done in this really engaging, wonderful way. It's such a smart show. It's such a smart show. Wow. And... Um, and so I really I I love that. And then there's this I wanted to I wanted to give a shout out right to the Alien Adventures of Finn Caspian, which is a show for kids, and it's produced by a friend of mine named Jonathan Messenger, who I went to college with, and he like me just started making a show one day, but he got really into the production. He it's this show it's a kids show it's about this troop of of kid space explorers, and they get into you know trouble and run into aliens and have to escape and whatever it's like super fun but he does all of these voices for all of these characters and robots and and he's he's just he's figured out like he's just figured out how to edit like he's he's running himself through filters and stuff and uh and it's just it's so playful and so fun and at the end of every episode he brings his his son who's like six or something on and uh and he his son is is his quote unquote editor and mm-hmm. so they, the son will give feedback on the show and they'll talk about like what's going to happen next and it's just it's super clever and he is now building this thing out into into a, a far bigger company uh, the name of which i'm blanking on that that's producing kids shows and like that's a really hot and and underserved space right now and podcasting is like podcasting for kids so i salute him and i um i i I have to be honest i don't listen to every episode anymore like i did for the first season and now it's like great i get it but you know it's a kid's show and um you're a grown man i'm a grown man and my (laughs) my son isn't old enough for it so like at some point but um but it's great and you should listen to it just for the inventiveness awesome and lastly yeah what inspires you to podcast? Storytelling. I mean, I I asked myself at some point in my career, what do I do? What do I do? Because I started out as a newspaper reporter and then I became a magazine editor and I wanted to be a magazine writer and I wanted to be all these sorts of things. And now I'm doing podcast and I do video and I talk on stage and and, and like, what do I do? What is it? Because I think that when you define yourself too narrowly, you turn down opportunities and those opportunities could be the thing that actually took you to the next level or inspired you to something that you didn't even know you wanted to do. And so if I had told myself the thing I do is that I'm a newspaper reporter 
Well, then I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you today because I would have stopped at newspapers and I wouldn't have gone to magazines, which would have led me to video, which led, you know. So I wanted to define my core more specifically and abstractly at the same time so that I, I had something that lots of different things can revolve around, that lots of different opportunities can be created. And so I realized that my answer to that is the thing I love to do, the thing that I do is I tell stories in my own voice. That's what I do. I tell stories in my own voice. And so I like podcasting because it feels like the purest expression of that. It is literally my voice. I control it. It's my show. It lives or dies on me. And it's taught me how to communicate in a different way. I write differently because of it. I, I speak differently because of it. It's forced me to rethink a lot of my own methods of storytelling. And that alone has been tremendously valuable. Even if Pessimist Archive and Problem Solvers end tomorrow, that's been incredibly valuable. But instead, I hope that they don't end. I hope that they continue on for a long time and that maybe one day, if you're listening, uh, Gimlet, um, somebody calls me <laughs> along, you know, calls me and is like, uh, you know, hey, do you want to, do you want to make Pessimist Archive like a thing? We'll give you a team and we could like do it. And I'll be like, yes, it's exactly what I want. Yeah. Um, I want to create opportunities for myself to tell stories in my own voice and podcasting. It feels like an avenue of limitless possibilities. Mm. Well, Jason Pfeiffer. Always great to see you. And uh, I can't wait to hear who else you have on the show. Oh, it's, it's a lot. A lot's coming. Nice. You're the man. Appreciate it. Thank you so much to Jason Pfeiffer for stopping through OPP. Be sure to go to the description of this podcast and find the links to Jason's social media and to his two shows, Pessimist Archive and Problem Solvers. This episode was mixed by Mark Bird, music provided by Richie Quake. And before we get out of here, be sure to check out my other show, Silent Giants, which highlights the superstars behind the scenes of popular culture. I'll have the link to that in the details as well. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge, signing off. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.